All I've been thinking about for the last couple of weeks is whether this week was going to be transformational for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Whether this week was going to be a time where things were easier for Kyle Dubas to get something done. Not a ton of smoke. Somebody who can make some is someone I'm a huge fan of. Thrilled that I get to talk to him professionally now. Uh, NHL insider, president of hockey content for the Daily Faceoff and the Pro Hockey Writers Association. It's Frank Sarvalli. What's up, man? How you doing? Good to talk to you. JD, what's going on? Nothing, man. Hey, first of all, congrats on the move um, because I haven't talked to you since then and I think that it's pretty badass and staking out and leaving uh, the big places and going for something new. I think it's very, very admirable. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of the show, Ariel Hawani, about something pretty similar a couple of weeks ago. And, yeah, I think that when you have the um, abilities that the two of you guys possess, that it makes moves like that possible and it makes people who are fans of your work confident that it will be a huge success. Oh, well, thanks. Really appreciate you saying that. And I, I would just recommend anyone. You can never go wrong betting on yourself. Yeah, I think that's a, a good message to share. So how do you see this week for Kyle Dubas? Is this one where we could see a splash? Are you expecting anything from them of significance over the coming few days? I'm really not. Um, I believe as the Leafs have done a deep dive on and picked at the carcass of what was a really disappointing finish that they believe that a lot of what they have on their roster is capable of doing so much more. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the vast majority of this team come back to run it, try and run it back. Um, You know, I think they look at how close they were to and how many chances they had to knock off Montreal and then Montreal getting to the final um, that in some ways that might have validated some of their thinking. Um, and it's probably natural to JD to question your thinking. Are we on the right path? Are we doing the right things? Um, to me, I, I would think that watching Tampa win again would tell you that you're a number of players away talent-wise and depth-wise from really competing for the Stanley Cup. But I, I think the Maple Leafs are pretty confident in the direction that they've been heading and and aren't going to just veer off and, and change course. Well, that's where I'm torn because I think that it's a great thing to have a plan and to not let bumps derail you. That's something, again, that you want in a front office. But also, Dubas's whole thing was about adjusting and being open to different ideas and being this very cerebral general manager who yeah, was not going to just try and think one way. And that when people tried to put him in a box, he has always seemed to be very um, resentful of that. that. That is something that he's pushed back on constantly. Like since day one, essentially, him being at the podium and fighting against the idea that he was just an analytics guy. And yet depth continues to be a problem for this team. And I feel as though everybody is talking about it. And it's very buzzy this offseason, right? Because... Um, this is kind of what happens in the NHL. People win a certain way, and then everyone starts to say that's the only way you can win. And in reality, there are a bunch of different ways to do it. And maybe we won't see a team as deep as, deep as Tampa Bay ever again. But most hockey people that you talk to identify that having Alex Kerfoot jump up the lineup, um, having Pierre Engvall there, having Mikheyev and his limitations as a scorer, having 
you know, 40-plus-year-old Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons running on fumes, that those things contributed to your inability to win when one line got shut down. And now it kind of feels like it's shifting to, well, maybe they can find depth if they can get off of a contract like Alex Kerfoot. But does it seem realistic to you at all that Seattle will be interested in him whatsoever? Yeah, I think Seattle is deciding, you know, Kerfoot, McCann, flip a coin. And I think in some ways that's the beauty of what the Leafs did over the weekend. If you think back to it was a nuanced transaction, but Riley Nash coming in at the trade deadline, he was injured, low cap hit, LTIR, no hit on your cap, and all of a sudden you gave up basically nothing to get him. And if he could contribute to your team in the playoffs, well, then it would have been a win and a home run. There's no risk in this transaction bringing in Jared McCann. You know, they're a team that were was thinking about uh, flirting with the idea of going with the seven three one protection format to protect some more forwards. Found that there was more value in protecting both Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall, and then moving forward, you know, getting McCann put them in a pretty enviable position in that. Okay, if you take Kerfoot great, we have McCann to step in. If you take McCann, well, then we never really lost anything anyway because we never gave anything up other than Philip Hollander, a, a marginal prospect, and and a seventh-round pick. So uh, no risk there. But I want to go back and address your, your initial question, and mm-hmm. that was the concern about whether or not this team is focusing on and asking questions in a critical fashion as to what they've done and how they've gotten here. And I I don't have any inside knowledge, but I would literally be floored if the Toronto Maple Leafs in their own room and in Kyle Dubas's own conversation that he's had with his trusted advisors, that if at some point they haven't at least thought about the idea of blowing this up or had the conversation, should we trade Mitch Marner? Should we move William Nylander? Should we move one of these guys in an, in an attempt to spread around the depth, in an attempt to do we need to reshape our defense core even more than we did last offseason? Should Morgan Riley go? What are we doing in net? That conversation is still ongoing. So I think they've had all of the conversations. My sense is that they think that they're in a position moving forward that they're in a prime position to compete, that look at the track record and I think it was well put on your part the Tampa Bay Lightning were probably never going to see a team that deep again they had a little help with the cap wink wink um, with the LTIR situation with Nikita Kucherov that enabled them to remain as deep as they were and then history might suggest with some of the other teams that were really good for a really long time that took them until an odd moment to break through I mean, how many opportunities did Tampa have before they actually won? I mean, they had one of the most historic seasons in regular season history a couple years ago and lost in the first round to Columbus in a sweep. Washington, how many cracks, how many President's Trophies with Alex Ovechkin before they won? I bet Brian McClellan would tell you, their GM, that that is their least talented roster that they ended up winning with over all those years. The St. Louis Blues were good for how long before they finally won? I'm not saying that Toronto, whatever they're doing is right or wrong. I'm just saying that I'd be shocked if they haven't gone through the exercise to at least evaluate and consider all those different options. 
Oh, God. Um, if they don't, then that's the only actual... Then this show does become Fire Everybody, because that is your job to me. It's like you need to explore everything. You need to have uncomfortable conversations. You need to at least be um, willing enough to move off of ideas or the potential of moving off an idea or even explore them for that sake. I guess the the only counter is the Leafs aren't going to be as deep as they were last year either. That by all accounts, you're going to lose Nick Felino. That maybe you're going to lose Bogosian. I don't know that about that, by the way. You don't know about that? And like Hyman, same thing, where it's like you're going to end up losing these guys. So let's let's go through those dudes then. Let's start with that, which is do you think that they will aggressively pursue any number of those guys? And do you, still, do you feel as confident as others seem to that Hyman is gone? Uh, I Yeah, I, I, I think I'm pretty confident in saying that Zach Hyman has played his last game as a Toronto Maple Leaf, and it's, you know, Really, I think to the disappointment of both sides, when you really get down to brass tacks, like he wanted to stay, the Leafs wanted to have him. He just, with what he's being offered, and this is his one real true crack to, you know, make money, big, big money in the NHL and set himself up and his family up for life, that I'd be surprised if he doesn't take it. Um, but I, I, I don't think that the door is 100% closed on a guy like Nick Foligno, I, I don't know what exactly kind of cap hit he'd need to come in at, but I think that, um, you know, the conversations there to this point have been amicable and pleasant. And I think Nick Foligno would have interest in staying um, if they could find a way to make it work. So I don't think that's dead yet, but I, I also think that they're looking, you know, at the free agent market out there, they're looking at uh, potential RFAs that are out there uh, any sort of trade that they could make um, that would make this team better. So that's those are the exercises that they're going through. So part of that, though, right, is the idea that some salary has to be sacrificed somewhere. And so Hyman does come off the books. Freddie Anderson comes off the books. I know that you were on with Ennis when I was away mentioning the name like mm-hmm. Darcy Kemper in that. And so it doesn't appear that the entire strategy would just be skimp. But my read would at least be based on the market and based on the amount of players that were left unprotected by teams and the uncertainty of what Seattle will do in net, that maybe goaltending is something that you can address a little later on, considering the depth at the position, that some of the other dominoes would have to potentially fall first. But this gets me back to Alex Kerfoot, which is, I, again, this is just me trying to read things, not actually knowing things. So I looked at it and said, I can't understand a situation where the Kraken would take 3.5 million of Alex Kerfoot when a comparable player in McCann is sitting there for less money or when a young defenseman like Travis Slightly Durman less money. Slightly less, but, but still, if we're just looking at offensive production, the one guy has more upside in that area, maybe they covet and maybe Hackstall looks at it and says, this guy killed penalties for me, who knows? So maybe uh, it yeah, already feels think, like I'm way off on him. It's, I think it's more positional in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one thing about the Pittsburgh Penguins is that they're pretty guarded about their centers. And so I think they think that Jared McCann is a winger. He's played center previously in his career. And I think what's happened is when he's played center, his production has dipped a little bit and his, and his goal scoring. So I think there's a little bit of a concern on that part. So mm-hmm. um, I guess the flip side to that would be that it's not like Alex Kerfoot was exactly bowling you over with his production either. So mm-hmm. um I think the one thing that's revealed itself in all of the expansion drafts, and if you talk to people close to Seattle, 
that they'll tell you the thing they have circled is how do we fix our team or how do we align our team down the middle? And that's been the one area that's kind of really lacking from teams in terms of what they put on the table has been that center position. So that's why I'd be really surprised if, if it's not one of those two guys from Toronto. Yeah. So, so then, you know, you go back and you, you know, you mentioned skimp and you're looking at the books and you say, okay, well, either way, that's likely $3 million in additional space, which brings you over nine. So you've got to get a starting goalie and you need, uh, you know, additional support on the wing. So how, how do you want to dole that out? Do you want to spend $6 million on a goalie? Do you want to spend five? Uh, you know, and then you go through that exercise and then it's, it's more so like which position are you prioritizing? Then it's seeing what you can get. And then it's what do you have left over for that spot on the wing to, you know, to fill in for Hyman um, and how, you know, how creative can they get? I, I think it's going to be fascinating what they actually end up doing. Cause again, I've, I've recalibrated my expectations completely from, Hey, what are you are you going to end up having a big trade? Even the Morgan Riley thing feels less and less likely. And from the beginning, I've always thought, hey, well, if you're going to trade Morgan Riley, it's really hard to tell me what you're getting back that makes more sense, that helps you win right now. And it feels, again, like they will probably explore the own rental market. But when we are talking about Hyman replacements specifically, um, Mm -hmm. do you feel the same way about Tyler Bertuzzi that there is a lot of buzz there is a lot connecting him to Toronto are there other names that you have heard that the team is is keen on that view as someone out there one of those RFAs or one of those close to free agency younger players that have that style of game on the wing that they could bring in there and try to put up into top six minutes I I think the idea of Tyler Bertuzzi with the Leafs has sort of come and gone I think it was an option that was put on the table and presented, but I think ultimately the acquisition cost coupled with what he's going to cost to pay him as an RFA, uh, in addition to the concern about his back injury, given the style of play that he has, probably takes him out of the picture. Um, but, you know, it's a good question because I, like, I don't really know who stylistically would be the best fit there. Um, I do know a guy going back to the trade deadline that they were really interested in was Mikhail Granlin from Nashville, obviously still a free agent um, mm-hmm. and, you know, will be up for grabs on July 28th pending selection from Seattle. Um, that I wonder about, you know, do they circle back there and, and try and find a fit that, you know, might make more sense money wise. I think the interesting part from guys from Nashville is everyone always wonders why is it that, they seem to be really productive elsewhere and come to Nashville and their production plummet. Is it something to do with the way that they play? You know, if we get that player out of Nashville, can we, you know, rehabilitate that production? Does it jump back up again? So, um, you know, I wonder about a guy like Granlin who's still under 30 and just the flexibility that his, he play he has position wise. Like if you really needed him to, he could jump back and play center. Um, so those are all things to consider moving forward. I hope they don't sign him just for the sake of us having conversations around next year's deadline and them wanting to acquire him and him just going down as an all-time market legend of Mikhail Granlin and the potential of coming to Toronto. I feel like it's been like now two full calendar years of this is the guy who could end up coming to Toronto. So just for the point of an exercise, let's just play it out where 
McCann is the guy that's chosen by Seattle. That they liked him. They like okay. the cheaper contract. They believe he can play center. Uh, they like his versatility to go to the wing. They just look at it and say, hey, it's a wash between these two guys, but we'll take the guy with more offensive potential. Let's go McCann. You're left with Kerfoot. You're left with Dermott. It sounds like if Seattle is interested in Dermott, or sorry, if they're interested in Kerfoot, and that they would potentially still take him off the books, that he would not be viewed as a negative asset around the NHL. Because I think for a lot of people, and this includes myself, that, okay, he might be a $3.5 million player, probably closer to that than sometimes we make him out to be. But on this roster, probably not, because... He hasn't really done a terrific job down the middle. I would say that it's kind of a similar thing to McCann where you say, okay, he's fine at center in a pinch, but probably more comfortable out on the wing. And what are you actually paying for on a team that's constructed this way and needs to fill a couple of different positions? If Seattle doesn't take Kerfoot, do you think that they will still try to explore movement of him? And what is his actual value? Would it actually probably cost them something else to get him off the books? It might. I mean, it wouldn't. I don't think it'd be a significant asset uh, because I do think that there's inter- there would be interest in him. Um, you know, again, it's more of a lowercase acquisition for anyone. Um, but I, I think the best case scenario, as you've highlighted and for the reasons you've highlighted, would be to have them take Kerfoot in this case and just make life a lot easier. Um, look, I, I'm telling you, I'd be really surprised if it's not one of those two guys. So either either way you're getting that $3 million in at least in cap flexibility. So from, from way, the way the books look right now. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, um, you know, whether or not they'd ultimately end up moving on from Kerfoot because at the same time, you know, you can say what you want about Kerfoot and the way that he fits in on this team, but mm-hmm. it also sort of goes back to like the devil, you know, versus the devil you don't. How do you know that the next guy that they bring in is in a worse fit and your team's in a worse off spot? Because, you know, I guess in that case, it would be, it would be McCann that would be in that spot. And that's why they kind of saved themselves over the weekend with the transaction. Yeah. Um, I also think that there has to be at least some hubris at play and the idea of trading an asset to get off of Alex Kerfoot if the Leafs are left with him after the, uh, after the expansion draft. And having people spend a entire offseason connecting the dots of you trading Nazem Kadri for one bad season of Tyson Berry and then eventually um, limited production and a negative trade for Alex Kerfoot, that I don't think that that would sit very well with the Leafs front office. Um, who knows how much they care about this stuff? I think they care a little bit. I don't think that they would like that one. So um, if that happens, the other domino would be the Leafs are keeping Travis Dermott. So... What about his trade value? Because they have a lot on the left side, and if they're keeping Morgan Riley, that only adds to it. They've always toyed with the idea of having him play right shot D. Do you think that there's more likelihood they could end up keeping him as a depth defenseman, someone who maybe starts the year on the right side in a bottom pairing, or that he is someone they would try to swing a trade for? Again, they might. I mean, I I think you're sort of tinkering at, you know, at the lowest level in terms of, um, you know, filling out your roster and putting things together. I, you know, I think everyone around the league kind of universally views Travis Dermott as a, a third pair defenseman. And I think the key for the Leafs is just sort of the um, security that they have in, in the contract two years at a million and a half. Like it's, it's interchangeable. It's perfect. If you need him, 
Um, you know, if you have someone that's young that comes up and surpasses him, it's not difficult to bury in the minors. If you needed to, it's certainly not difficult to trade. Um, you know, all those things kind of come into play. So, mm-hmm. um, I'd say if you're looking at the Leafs list of priorities and like how, what they need to do or think about six on the list, um, you know, based on where they are at at the moment. And I, I don't think the ability or idea of losing Travis Dermott has kept them up at night, if that makes any mm. sense. No, I, I would have to agree with that. It's just that Dubas has a track record of doing right by players. And I wonder if Dermott mm-hmm. doesn't factor in in that final pairing, if he's not going to the right side and playing with someone like a Sandine. Also, that makes for quite a strange third pairing considering you know where they were at last year with a guy like Bogosian and what they need with the penalty kill um that they might say to him we're not going to just bury you and make you the seventh d again for another season um we know you took very little money to stay here we'll potentially move you or that that was maybe a wink wink part of the deal possible yeah yeah it's certainly possible i i just you know, without diving too far into it, because you, you wanted to go back and rehash the idea of the Kerfoot trade and for Kadri and, and everything else, you know, it's all about expectations. Like, expectations vary around the league. And I think it's so important to point out, like, you know, just going back to how we first began our conversation about Zach Hyman and whether or not he could stay and, and what the situation is like there. The reason why Zach Hyman was universally loved wasn't just because and we, we are, it changes our entire complexion just as fans as the way the game is viewed. The reason why Zach Hyman was loved was because the production that he had and what he did for the Toronto Maple Leafs vastly exceeded the $2.5 million that he was paid on the cap. All of a sudden, if Zach Hyman is making $6 million on your team or 5 and a half, whatever it ends up being, um, my guess is it starts with a six, that the expectations and conversation change. And all of a sudden, Zach Hyman isn't looked at as sort of this you know, really, really valuable commodity that's exceeding what he's what he's getting paid. It's why is that guy taking up six million dollars on our cap when we could be adjusting it and using it elsewhere? So that's why I'm interested to see how that conversation changes. Um, it says more about sort of how we view the game, but going back to Tyson Barry and the Kadri trade and everything else, and you know, it's the expect. It's all about expectations. When Tyson Barry he does one thing better than almost anyone else in the National Hockey League, and that's quarterback a power play and score points. And when you trade for Tyson Barry and you don't use him, you start your season with him not on your first power play, you're, like, you're not using the asset appropriately. So let's talk about expectations again. Yeah, um, and we've gone over this with Hyman on the show at nauseum at this point. But, yeah, if you go through the history of the league and find guys who are, you know, 29 years old coming off of career goal-scoring seasons that – play with an edge but are not bona fide goal scorers that don't create offense for themselves and have also had multiple injuries uh you're not going to find a long list of fans that are happy with that signing and so I, I do think that this is kind of a perfect storm of toronto fans understanding hyman getting his contract at age 29 him having done his part um knowing that there were not other guys on this team that sacrificed money in order to stay so asking him to be the first is kind of an unreasonable one and also that despite him and his importance to this team that yeah just all of the reason like those expectation reasons that you outlined and that bump in pay don't make him a sure thing and it makes it re and makes it yeah again palatable that 
you would move on from a player like that. I, I, again, I, I just think that it's more about what the Leafs had at the beginning of the season with Hyman and the idea that he was going to be this third-line driver, that they were going to have this shutdown line. And maybe Kerfoot stays a part of that, and who knows what that ends up being, but it still feels as though that's where Toronto needs to transform the team or that's the most likely place where they can have meaningful, significant change because whoever they bring in for Hyman, it's hard to envision them... Um, exceeding what he has done. So, last one for me, you've been super generous with your time. There's now just Carey Price watch. That feels like all we're doing here is waiting to see whether or not Carey Price actually goes. Um, where are you at? Where's the latest? I thought you were going to let me get through an entire, in, uh, an entire no. interview without God, asking no. about Carey Price. Man, it's, this is what I love about the Carey Price thing is that everybody in Canada has stakes, right? Because Montreal just goes on this run and they're feeling great about themselves and it's this whole Carey Price revival tour and everyone that had kicked dirt on his name looks like a fool and then they expose him. And uh, I don't know. The idea is supposed to be that his contract is too big and we keep hearing it that Montreal is trying to say, don't take him, don't take him. These are the reasons why you don't. Maybe even like who knows exactly the amount of work they're putting in on this. But if I'm Seattle, I don't know. They they signed the, the Panthers goaltender to this contract today and I I would – I'd just rather have Carey Price than a guy that has not played very much in the NHL, even at that contract. But who cares? I don't need to editorialize this. Where where do you think the Kraken are at with this decision? Is this more about making Montreal sweat than them actually believing they're going to take this guy in that contract? I, I don't think that's at play at all. I, I think, truthfully, that Seattle really wasn't expecting to have to make this call that they thought for sure that it was going to be Jake Allen and, and they didn't expect Carey Price uh, to land on their board. And so when you add that plus then the reports of the injury, I think there's been lots of suggestion that Seattle has investigated and don't believe that he's as injured as the comments and story may make it seem. Um, I don't have access to those medical records. I think Seattle would like to know more. And I think they're in the process of trying to find out more. I don't know what the obligations are there from Carey Price. Does he need to go and meet with doctors? I, I doubt it. You know, is he willing to? I don't know. Um, how comfortable is Carey Price with the idea of ending up in Seattle ultimately? That's another question we don't know the answer to, though I would imagine since I'm told he volunteered that he'd have to at least at some point be open to the idea of it. And, you know, moving forward, I, I can only tell you this, the Seattle Kraken are thinking long and hard about it and whether or not they ultimately end up pulling the trigger. I think there's some parts of the Kraken front office that are thinking this is too good of an opportunity to pass up. And by the way, not to throw anyone off or on the scent, but no one has mentioned to this point that just because it seems like Chris Dreger is heading to Seattle, that it doesn't stop Seattle from flipping him to someone else. So right. um, I think that's a possibility as well. Um, and I think all, the entire situation remains fluid at this point. I think they're really taking their time to consider whether or not Carey Price should be the face of this franchise. We need more expansion drafts. 
There's got to be relegation, and then you're just out of the league, and then there's just an expansion draft every yeah, I'm not sure how the owners would feel about that idea of relegation <laughs> after paying a few hundred million dollars for some of these teams. Yeah. Uh, if there's one thing I will never care about, it's owners of sports franchises uh, and how they feel. Um, it's just not gonna, it's not ever gonna register with me. Frank, this was awesome, man. Again, huge fan of your work and, and thrilled for you, man. Can't wait to watch you through this next chapter and, and can't wait to talk next. Likewise, JD. Thanks a lot. Take care. See you, buddy. Frank Cervalli, head of the Pro Hockey Writers Association, president of hockey content for the Daily Faceoff an NHL insider. And okay, there's so much there. That's why I love getting to pick the brains of dudes like that that are actually in the know. Um, number one, first and foremost, is... God, I still can't believe the Kraken would take Kerfoot. But then now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's 600000 and it's someone that Hackstall's more familiar with, and okay. But also, if they take him, you're replacing him with McCann... You're still in a pretty similar spot when it comes to third-line center and not feeling overly comfortable with what you have there. Um, Maybe you feel better about it because it's $600,000 less and the guy actually won't look off every single shot opportunity that he has. But yeah, the devil you know kind of thing. I'm not a fan of Alex Kerfoot on this team. I'm a fan of Alex Kerfoot. I think he's a fine player. I think he was admirable in the postseason for the Leafs. But again, $3.5 million, I think he's a winger. You already had those problems with Kapanen and with Janssen, and you moved off those two guys. If this guy's a winger, which is where he's looked best, I don't think you can pay 3.5 for someone who doesn't score. That's just my opinion. So I'd rather that the Kraken take Alex Kerfoot and that you get a look at McCann, who, despite not being a producer at all in the playoffs, is someone I like to score for you more than I do like one from Alex Kerfoot. Um, It doesn't change anything for me, though, in terms of the breakdown of the, the protection list. Because a lot of people said, okay, well, you could have protected McCann then. If you like McCann more, why not protect McCann? Because Hall is still more valuable than McCann. And you have to believe that the potential of losing him would have been too great. Too great a risk just to get off Alex Kerfoot, especially if it is not a situation where Kerfoot is a negative asset around the league or where it costs a lot of money or a draft prospect to get him off the books. And also now I'm thinking whether or not Dreger is a guy that the Maple Leafs would trade for with Seattle. Do a little flip there. Now I'm also thinking I won't feel shamed for caring about what happens with Travis Dermott. <laughs> that's that's following the Leafs is caring about the depth even if it is inconsequential. Um I don't think that you can start the season with him as your third-pairing right D if Rasmus Sandin is starting the season as your third-pairing left D. To me, that's you have three penalty killers. You're missing somebody. You need somebody else that can step in and play those minutes. So if you keep Travis Dermott and he's your seventh defenseman, I don't have any issue with that because I think that's an unbelievable role for him. Truly unbelievable to have Travis Dermott as your seventh defenseman. Your sixth on the right side? Mm-mm. No, thank you. 
Got to figure else. Got to figure something else out there. But again, it didn't sound like from Frank that his trade value is very high. Little videos out there. Little video that's being leaked by a guy named At Leafs Fan, showing people in Pike's Market in Seattle where they catch the fish. They catch a fish, and then the host reads the name off the fish. And that's how I think they're going to announce these picks. And the guy catching the fish says Alex Kerfoot's name. The Seattle Kraken select Alex Kerfoot. Seems... I don't know how there could possibly be another explanation as to the Seattle Kraken are not taking Alex Kerfoot. Like... This would be quite the elaborate leak otherwise. A guy who I really didn't think that Seattle would take because of the contract, maybe Hackstall loved. Maybe he stumped for him. Let's ask somebody else who's in the know, um, who I don't know if seen this video. It just came out, but it's Nick Kiprios. What's up, man? How are we doing? Something fishy about that story. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I I got it. I was getting it sent to me just over and over and over and over again. And so I finally had to just play because I couldn't understand it. I didn't have the volume on. I'm like, yeah, they do that. It's that Pike's Market. They do the fish thing. They throw the fish. <laughs> it's like, okay. Then I send it up and it's Alex Turfoot. I had been thinking all week, Kipper, that the reason why they um, – that th- that they would have tried to work out a side deal to get him off the books. That no team was going to take three and a half million dollars of Kerfoot when there were so many salaries out there. I guess I read this completely incorrectly. That Kerfoot is the favorite to go to Seattle. That that he's going to be potentially lost by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I, I, I have no doubt that uh, the interest all along has been on Kerfoot. Uh, they like him a lot. I know that, and I know that. Uh, uh, they're certainly not worried about the three and a half million dollars. Uh, here's the one thing, guys, and this is crystal clear, not just for Seattle, uh, but throughout the National Hockey League. There's a shortage on centermen. Mm-hmm. And he is a serviceable NHL uh, centerman that can come in and play 15 minutes a night. Uh, he's got the ability to score goals. He skates well. And there's some real value there. Now, all of a sudden, they trade for McCann. And I don't think the Leafs would trade for McCann uh, knowing that uh, they wouldn't have some real good idea that probably Kerfoot's going to be traded. Now, do they have a side deal that guarantees that Kerfoot's gone and McCann stays? Do they have to sweeten the package? We're going to find soon enough where the side deals are. But I would, I would have some pretty good, you know, uh, confidence, thinking that Kerfoot's gone, and, and McCann is the reason why that the Leafs uh, went out and got him. So I overthought this. I thought that the McCann deal was simply, well, you know, maybe they take Kerfoot, maybe you still try to negotiate something, but also you, to an extent, protect more trade value in Travis Dermott that maybe you feel you can flip for more than uh, Hallander, who is, I think, regarded mostly as like a C-level prospect and a seventh round pick but in actuality this might look like a really tidy piece of business if they can get Kerfoot off the books someone who like you said is a a good NHL player like he's a good player it just it didn't really work here in Toronto at his number you save a little bit of cash you get arguably a better player with more offensive upside that's got to be viewed as already a a decent move for Kyle Dubas no well it, it it fills a void 
Mm-hmm. Now, you, you ask me, does McCann solve any of their playoff deficiencies? No. And it's like, no. I mean, he, he can come in and he can provide some points and maybe uh, he can score 40 points, 45 points. But uh, I, last time I checked, uh, no playoff goals. And uh, I'm not sure if he's played in the uh, uh you know, how many playoff games he's had. So there's no experience there. There's no, uh, this guy can put us over the top during during a playoff run. It's just a serviceable player that can come in and, and fill a gap. But certainly uh, the playoff uh, issues continue to linger for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, he's played 12 playoff games. He's got zero goals and three assists. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're not, you know, the Leafs are... Lee fans can say clearly we're not getting him for his, uh, you know, for, for a playoff push. Yeah. Well, the buzzword, right, is killer instinct. They need killer instinct. They need killer instinct. It's just feeling more and more as though that is something that's going to be internal because they're going to have a little bit of cash, a little bit more now with Kerfoot gone, but not enough to do anything, I believe, of significance without moving somebody out. Not where you're even going to be replacing someone. Like, there's a reason why they're letting Zach Hyman walk, and they're not renegotiating yeah. at six million bucks. So, well, listen, I, I'm not, I'm not completely written off that the Leafs won't take a, a last-minute crack at, at signing Zach Hyman. I think if the number is six, like, like it's been leaked from various people around the camp of Zach Hyman. The question is now, what, what are the advantages that the Leafs have shown over the last few years that can close the gap on Zach Hyman? And that is that they can go to the eighth year. And the other one, more importantly to players today and agents and financial advisors, is how much money can they put in Zach po- uh, Zach's pocket in the first two or three years? You know, and um, yeah, there's, there's escrow to be involved, but there's also a signing bonus. If they go to the eighth year, could they get close uh, to, to four between four and a half and four seven five? Is that is that good enough for Zach instead of the six million over seven years? And does he plan to play in all seven years or eight years? No. So the number is a little bit misrepresentative over the course of eight years. But if Zach wants to play another six and try to win cups. In, in the next six, in, in the place that he's most comfortable, maybe four and a half or four seven five can, can get it done on an eight year deal. And I, uh, I'm about as big a Zach Hyman fan as there is. I think once you start talking about giving eight years of term to a guy in his late twenties who's coming off of some injuries to his legs, listen, nobody, yeah. nobody signs these long term deals uh, towards the latter part of their career, thinking that they're going to play every year. Okay, take a look. They retire and they go on long term. That's just a given. You're not you're not going to be on the hook on those last few years if Zach Hyman wants to retire at 35. So it's it's just it's just a ploy. It's just a uh, an avenue that you can take and, and and burn off those last two years and throw them on Robita Island and not pay the price for them. That's the that's. That's what this CBA has created for general managers and teams now. My only fear was I thought that's what was going to happen with Patrick Marlowe. I thought the Leafs were like, wink, wink, all right, Marlowe, you're going up 
mm, LTIR, you're going up to Robodaw Island, year yeah. three if it's not working out, and it's like, nope, he wants to tie Gordy Howe's records yeah. and things. Of, <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they didn't read the tea leaves on that one. Yeah. They didn't do their homework on that one, and that needs to be discussed, and, 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 uh, and there has to be a, a clear understanding of where this thing's going to head at the end. And mm-hmm. Marlon wanted to hold on to uh, uh, the, the game's record, and it was his right to do that, but the Leafs should have known better. Yeah. So what do you expect this week from the Leafs? Because I feel as though this is supposed to be a lot of action and potentially side deals and there's the NHL draft and they don't have picks and they've still got a roster that even if they decide they need to keep the the top guys intact and they roll this thing over, you've got to anticipate some changes. Um, there's a lot of goaltenders that could be out there. It's in a position of need for the Leafs. What what is this what do the next couple of days look like for Kyle Dubas, in your opinion? Well, he's 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 got to figure it out real quick on on Zach Hyman. Either he he announces a, a signing, or they move off of his money and they throw four and a half five million dollars somewhere else. But they're going to have to pay the price on a twenty twenty five goal scorer. Um, I don't. They're not. They're not going to find a more tenacious four checker. That's for sure. Uh, but they're going to have to replace some of that offense, and it's a legit top six signing uh, now. You know, is it Palmieri? Um, you know, is it a player that they can grab fairly early in those next, you know, few days? Is it, is it a trade? Um, goaltender Kempers, a name that we hear, they don't have a first rounder to give up to Arizona, but they can certainly offer Lilligren in a heartbeat. And I don't know if it's going to be enough for Arizona to give uh, up Kemper. But that's that's the type of deal it's going to take now to solidify, you know, giving Jack Campbell some help. I think it's a big mistake, you know, if you're just going to clearly go with Jack Campbell without a very sufficient uh, a guy that can share the load here with some experience, um, you know, and more importantly, uh, real games played here, you know, as many as 40 you know, 45. Maybe it's a, a split between uh, an experienced goaltender and Jack, but you, you, you're thinking you're going next year all in on Jack Campbell. That's a bad mistake. No, they've already tried to go all in on Freddie Anderson, who had more of a track record and was a better goaltender than Jack Campbell. And so the idea that you would back up someone with a history of injuries and not a long track record of being a starting goaltender at this level with a bargain bin backup of some kind or without a 1B um, it, it just it feels like you've already tried that move and yeah. you can't go down that avenue again um, so if it isn't Zach Hyman if they aren't able to get something done at the 11th hour if they can't do the term if Hyman's camp wants a different situation they end up taking something around the 6 and they just can't come to terms with something have you heard have you started to hear names or have you started to come up with ideas as to what that replacement could look like, who who that person actually is, because it feels like the Tyler Bertuzzi smoke is leaving. The Gabe Landeskog thing always seemed like a bit of a pipe dream. Do, do you feel as though it's more likely that it would come through free agency? Because, you know, you kind of started to talk about guys like that than it would be through a trade? Well, I, I don't know where the sense of urgency, you know, is for, for Toronto uh, to, to do something if it's not there right out of the gate. Um, you know, do you almost go with your present horses now and you find out where you are with Nick Robinson coming in. And, you know, I didn't like the fact that uh, he got hurt so early 
uh, last season, and you know, clearly you, you're, you like him. He's your top goal scoring prospect, but you know you're trying to capture magic like Montreal did with Cole Caulfield, and you know that that wasn't the case. But I would think that they would be looking at him real, real significance here, and I don't know whether or not they want to put him in that situation early enough where they kind of wait it out before they you know find out what direction they truly want to go but um, clearly it's something they're going to have to grab some magic within their own you know organization before they just continue to kind of look on the outside and maybe that's where they are right now so leafs aside kipper do you see a lot of activity coming over the next few days well i think people are at least the players are pleasantly surprised that they think that there's more money out there that was first led to believe, you know, uh, a few months ago. Um, and, you know, now we hear uh, uh, Barkley Goudreau's uh, done his six-year uh, deal in, in New York pretty much, or at least it's, it's closing in on that. Uh, Drieger's got three and a half times three uh, from Seattle, which we'll see what that happens how that plays out with Carey Price available. But there is a sense that uh, teams are, are, are going to be aggressive here and, and, and the ones that have the money aren't going to be scared to spend it. So, uh, you know, Ryan Suter's out there now. Does he want full market value or does he want to just go somewhere and, and try to win again? You know, he can. I think he can get 3 or $4 million with his eyes closed from mm-hmm. certain teams, but maybe... Maybe he takes a lot less and goes to Tampa Bay to try to win a Stanley Cup again. Uh, we'll see what happens, but certainly makes for an intriguing week, that's for sure. Yeah, Suter goes to Tampa Bay. I think a lot of people on hockey are going to be upset on a million-dollar deal. <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to be anyway, – I don't think that's going to sit well across Kucherev's the league. Kucherov's yeah. going to have to change his T-shirts. Yeah, I don't know. Like that's yeah, those T-shirts are amazing too. By the way, I was like, yeah, I'd sign me up for a couple of those Kucherov T-shirts and sign me up for the future ones. Also, sign me up for um, as soon as the show finishes in a few minutes, another little Buddha. I, I got to tell you, man, the natural peach, like that one, that is among all-time drinks that I've ever had. All-time oh, cocktail, okay. Just oh, I'm dead serious, man. Those are a staple in the refrigerator, like a staple. That- hundred percent every single time like there's no i can't remember the last time that i went to the store and didn't just do the automatic like a couple in the basket to just make sure that it doesn't keep the restock going so thank you thank you for creating that drink i had had sid Sixero from breakfast television as my number one ambassador man but you just blew right by him no, right yeah, exactly. let me blow by Sid. Let's, listen, I'll hawk those things till the day I die. Like, that's like, I will hawk those. Those are a number one, you got to try those drinks. The peach, man, oh yeah, I get like some about it. Just terrific, terrific, terrific drink. Um, and again, right now, hot, I'm in the valley, I'm out here in Ottawa. Guess what I'll be doing today? Having one by the pool. Uh, Nick Kiprios, uh, thanks for making time today, buddy. Always great. Uh, and he, uh, with that plug for Little Buddha, available at LCBO, uh, I'll, I'll come on that, on your show any day of the week. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks a lot. I look forward to next Thanks time. Too. See you, man. Have a good one. Nick Kiprios of uh, Line Movement and, of course, Little Buddha. So our pal Steve Dangle has tweeted the following response to 
the Kraken selecting Alex Crowfoot video. He said, who did this video come from? Is it doctored in any way? Is this a stage production? Lord knows how many potential names were filmed just in case. And if it is a leak, whoever leaked it is uh, boned. I love this tweet. I think that this summarizes everything. So I'd like to go through them all quickly. Number one, um, if well, number one, if you haven't heard already, there's a video out there where it's showing people in Pike's Market in Seattle and the name they read off the fish, which appears to be the way that they're reading the draft picks, is Alex Kerfoot. Um, who did this video come from? The answer is who cares? And number two, is it doctored in any way? There's no way. Like, this is a cell phone video and, like... I guess I shouldn't say no way. You know, I guess I shouldn't say no way. Good on Steve for bringing up the potential of it being doctored. Um, I guess just who has the time? Who would have the time to not only get this leaked video, but then also to get it in time and do the layering of the audio? I'm going to say no. Stage production number three that Dangle asked. Is this a stage production? Lord knows how many potential names were filled just in case. That's the one. That's the question to me. Do they say, these are the list of names we're going to take, film all of them, we could change it depending on a scenario down to the wire? If that is not the thing, if Seattle has already made their picks, although, again, though, like my only other reservation is, why would they have made the picks definitively unless there is a side deal at this time of the day? Maybe. Like, the television crew is going to tell you we need... Like, if they're doing it this way, then I actually think that you would want to film all the names that you would potentially pick. Right? If you're saying we need to get this in the can, we need to have this done and ready for production, come... The draft, then we have to do all the multiple names. Because it's Tuesday. Like It's still another... We're a ways away from this thing still happening. So now I'm kind of leaning towards this is real. It came from someone who's... <laughs> either someone got on set somehow, I don't know how, or they're fired, or it's a friend of somebody who is now fired. Um, but two is that it's like, yeah, they maybe just read all the potential names. That feels like, again, this is the Occam's Razor approach. Simplest explanation, they read off a list of a lot of names because Seattle probably didn't give the full list of who they're taking to the two guys that are doing the television shots from Pike's Market. Or maybe Kerfoot is one of the guys they already know and they just go to Dunn and maybe he's a goner. Who knows? We're going to find out pretty soon. There's going to be more Kerfoot talk tomorrow. There's going to be more tape talk tomorrow. At Leafs fan. Good handle. Beat a lot of people to that one. Probably could have sold it a few months ago. Uh, it's a good show. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow it on iTunes and Spotify if you're a fan. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at JD Bunkus. Shoot me a line anytime. Um, we'll talk to you tomorrow. See you.